Hallelujah. Father, we just boldly come before the throne. We come with expectation of the ministry of the Holy Ghost. Lord, as we wait upon you, we believe your Holy Spirit will guide us in truth. And we rejoice in that for the truth will set us free. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord God, for the work of the Holy Ghost. I ask for an impartation to be delivered, to impart strength in the Spirit, and to bring forth knowledge, understanding, wisdom in the fear of the Lord. And Father, we love you with all of our mind right now. We focus all of our thoughts upon you and your word. We open our heart wide to receive all from you you'd have for us today. Lord, speak to us as a group and speak to every individual here that which they would need to hear today. I thank you for your anointing to deliver your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. You can be seated. Praise the Lord. We will begin again in Jude, verse 20 through 22. I'll pick up where I was yesterday. I'll do some review. You know, part of the teaching process is review. So uh, we need to do that as much as we can. But verse 20 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life, and of some have compassion, making a difference. We want our life to make a difference in the lives of others. The context of this in the letter, uh, Jude was speaking of the evil and how far along it had come where many were turning away from following the Lord. There was an undermining of uh, the grace of God, saying, well, grace means I can do whatever I want to do and sin however I want to sin. And God will wink at it, look the other way, and so just bless me. That's wrong doctrine. There's a lot of that flying around the last 20 years. Uh, I won't get into naming names. But I don't have a problem doing that because there are many who are hailed as great teachers and they are bearing forth false doctrine, undermining the work of the Spirit of God by that perversion of the grace of God. Then with it, verse 4 says, denying the Lord God, and the Lord Jesus Christ, or read this way, denying Him as the authority of our life. And when people move away from the Lord and are exalting self, they will deny God's authority. And many people grow up with such rebellion, they just transfer that over when they get saved, unless early on the revelation comes, Jesus is Lord. He's not just my Savior. He's my Master. He's my Lord. He's my everything. My wife and I uh, have had dogs all our life. And uh, that's almost two years ago now. My neighbor poisoned our dog we had inadvertently. He didn't try to do it. But he sprayed Roundup up and down the fence. We have a long, lot of fence. Dog ate the grass, caused cancer and seizures. When I told him that, I said, hey, I forgive you. I forgive you, brother. But anyway, we... Uh, we got another one. It's our fourth shepherd over our lifetime together. We've had lots of other dogs, too. <laughs> Every now and then, to hear me preach for a while, you'll say, when I grow up, I want to be like my dog. Because everything God created has some reflection of him in it. So you learn, especially if you're a teacher, if you're called teach, look to see God in all that he did. And then, you know, that gives you things whereby you are illustrating various things there. But uh, this dog we got now is unlike any other one we ever had. She's an alpha female. I mean, as a puppy, she was out. She determined she wanted to rule the house. So we had to uh, get kind of hard on her. You know, if you're a stronger-willed 
child, you have to be a little harder or more firm with them to, to reel that in. But many times that's because there's potential for leadership in that type of child. A lot of times they're misunderstood. And if you don't set strong boundaries and parameters, they'll just keep pushing out because they, they want to see, you know, where, where the boundaries are. Well, anyway, this dog, uh, the last one, I was number one because that breed, they'll pick a number one. Some dogs just lay on everybody's lap. Shepherds aren't like that. Somebody's number one. They'll love the whole family. They'll fight for them. They'll die for them. But somebody's number one. And uh, Don and I decided, our desire was, Lord, this next one we get, may it pick her. Because the last one, she'd feed it, take it out, play with it, do all this and that. I come home, it's all about, it's all about daddy. <laughs> so anyway, this one picked her. It's all about her. And, and her, everything's about her. I mean, she likes me and everything, but it's all about her. So she'll lay there. I have a ball in front of her, wait, 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 eyes on her. You know, just do everything for her. She would die for her, no doubt about it. <laughs> I mean, people are scared to come to our front door because we're not sure she's going to fly through the window because this is a stranger. <laughs> so anyway, when I grow up, I want to be like my dog. Because that's how we need to be with Jesus. Where our eyes are always on Him. But the first one we had back in those days, I used to, it was so busy all we were doing with ministry and pastoring and developing a high school and building a building and doing all these things. My prayer time was like midnight to 3 a.m. or 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. I used to only sleep three hours a night. I had faith for that then. After about five years of that, God said, you're sinning against your body. You need to stop that lest you hurt yourself. You need to, That's a whole other story. But anyway, the shepherd would just lay on the floor. Her eyes were fixed on me the whole time, just staring at me. And if I looked at her more than three seconds, she would get up and come to me. And one night... Spirit of God spoke to me how his eyes are on me all the time. If I just look to him, he's right there. So I want to be like that with my father, my heavenly father. When I grow up, I want to be like my dog. I got lots of other dog stories like that too. That just came to me just to emphasize the point of the lordship of Jesus Christ. What's that mean? There's our picture here. We can relate to that. It's not just some abstract thought. It's just be like a dog. This whole life is given to their master. Hello. <laughs> Where are we? We're in the book of Jude. And he, he proceeds to speak of this rebellion and this abuse of grace. And he names some examples in the Old Testament of Cain, Balaam, and Korah. And, and you can look at their lives and see how bad it was. And we look around us and say, oh my, it's, it's bad, it's getting worse. Be careful you don't get into becoming a complainer. You know, people, a lot of times people will remember the old days as the great days. I remember I was talking with a, a, an older lady in the Lord one time, and I was talking sort of like that, like, well, back to 50s and 60s, you know, it was like this. And she tells me, you know, it wasn't as great as people make it out to be back in the 50s. There were a lot of problems back then, too. You know, sometimes people remember something in the past as it was just so glorious. Well, there was good things there, but there's always good and evil around us. The thing is, what are you looking at? What are you remembering? 
What, what are you going to cherish? We need to cherish the good and learn from that which was bad. So the evil, the Bible tells us, will wax worse and worse. It is going to increase. So don't be surprised as it gets worse. 20 years ago, I never thought our nation would be in the position it's in now. The degree of evil. I mean, next thing you have people, you know, with all the perversion saying, well, I'm going to marry my dog. I'll marry my horse. I mean, I guess some even do that now. I'm not a male or female. I'm a dog or I'm a horse. I mean, it's just insane. When people depart from the Lord, there's no end to the perversion because they're yielded to a different Lord now, and that's Satan. So we see in the book of Jude, these things were going on back in the beginning. You know, sometimes people hail the beginning of the church was all this utopia glory. Read the Bible. Read Jude, Peter, John, Paul. They all spoke of the, the idol worship, the, the demonic work. They spoke of all those things. The false prophets, the false apostles, the false teaching. It was all back there in the beginning. Came right in. Satan brought it right in. Right in the beginning. They ended up with strife right in the beginning. They ended up with a a uh, self-centered focus right in the beginning. The Lord told them to go out and it took 10 years and took persecution driving them out till they finally ended up in an obedient place. Now you can obey by submitting your will or circumstance can drive you into a place where you've got nothing but Jesus. Well, praise the Lord, you finally realize that. It's better just to willingly submit yourself. So the early church, you know, and I have to kind of chuckle because back in, I think it would have been the 90s, a lot of books were being written, you know, studying different revivals in the early church. Let's try to be like that. But there was a lot of great things. There was a lot of disobedience and evil going on just the same. So think it not strange. When you encounter evil today, don't think it's, it's any worse. You see, if you start thinking like that, you can start pitying yourself. Oh, poor me. We have it so bad. And then justifying being a murmur and complainer. It's so bad. It's so bad. It's so bad. Rather than having our eyes on the kingdom of God and realizing what is so good that if I make the choice, I can enter into and lay hold of every day of my life. (laughs) Oh, so he proceeds on in the midst of all this saying, but you build yourself up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. We must purpose to stay strong, lest that which is around us wear us out. It says in Daniel, Satan is going to be very purposed to wear out the saints. So we have to stay strong. That's on you. That's not on anybody else. I can preach the word to impart strength, but you have to lay hold of it. You have to embrace it, keep it in your heart every day. And then he says, keep yourself in the love of God. Keep yourself in love, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Now, we've already received the mercy of God. There is an incorrect interpretation here like, well, we're, we're just needing to try to hang on. Hang on. Maybe you'll make it to the end. No, if we're in love, love thinks beyond self. Love will consider this world around us with all of the evil and corruption working in it. There is a people going to hell and love would be concerned about that, not just reverting into survival mode in the midst of challenges and evil. So last year we had this whole COVID thing. It shouldn't change anything for us. We live the same way. doesn't matter, you know, there's more hardship. or That has nothing to do with anything. But if we're not keeping ourselves in love, we'll allow something like that to get our focus more on self. Why well, have to do more for me? Because, well, maybe, maybe God will stop being provider. 
It's going to be so bad. You'll stop being provider. So I better be my own provider. And then your heart shifts away from thinking about things like missions and sowing uh, in, into the work of God because it's, it's more a me-centered type of thing. Keep yourself in love. Looking for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking for the compassion of the Lord to be able to be poured out into the life of someone else. If you're not looking for that, you'll miss it. I, I wonder sometimes, and rather sadly, how many times, Lord, have I missed opportunities to impart to someone? I don't want to miss those opportunities. Someone's life could depend on it. We have to be looking. You know, when it comes to the Good Samaritan story, there's a general I've heard over and over. People interpret it's Jesus busting on religious people. That's an incorrect interpretation of the scriptures. He mentions there's a priest and a Levite who didn't stop to help the man. But you know, they were on their way to work. The priest was working temple, temple ministry. Consider this. They're on their way to work. They don't have time to stop. Their minds are on what they're going to do. I don't have time to stop. If you busy your life and you arrange your life in such a way that you can't stop, you're going to miss a lot of God opportunities. Now, in our nation, it's all about efficiency. It's very competitive, free market. You have to be the best at what you're doing if you're going to succeed in terms financially. We are very efficient. I don't know that anywhere else in the world focuses on efficiency like here. That's why our economy, or one reason why, excels most others. In many places in the world, there's the event of the day. And those of you who live in other countries, you know what I'm talking about. There's the event with today's grocery shopping day. And it might take you all day to do it. Where we are very efficiency-oriented. We're going to plan our day. We're going to maximize the use of all of our time. And that's good. There's wisdom there. However, as a believer... You cannot let that dominate you. You know, sometimes there's things we need to implement in our life, but it shouldn't ever be dominant. So if you're going to plan all these minutes and you, you get proud about, why well, I'm just so efficient and I just accomplish so much, you're going to miss. You're going to miss God with people because you're not really looking for the opportunity for ministry of the Holy Ghost. <laughs> I have to, I get such a, a kick out of my wife. There's just something in the grace of God with her that she can go in a grocery store and she can tell me, okay, I'm, I'm going to get five things, uh, eggs, milk, butter, bread, you know. And an hour and a half later, She'd return. And I knew, I, mean, I don't even have to think about it, I knew what happened. She's going down the dog food aisle or something and it's being friendly. And we're talking about making disciples, okay? Being friendly, being kind, which means you stop. You're not such in a rush. You've not given yourself, I've got 10 minutes to get in and out of this store because i got more, 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 more I've got to do. You just stop and begin to talk. And within five minutes, <laughs> it's just amazing. They're pouring their whole life story out to her. The door swings open wide. There's an opportunity for the mercy and compassion of Jesus. You see, we can tend to think, well, like that's something I, I purpose to do. Okay, now it's time to show mercy. But the Spirit of God knows where people are at and what's going on in their heart. And if you'll just be friendly 
and be willing to take the time, the door might swing open. The thing is, we need to be sensitive to, did the window of their heart crack open where a little of the mercy of God can flood in, flowing out from you? And you begin to listen to them, and they talk about, and begin to tell you, well, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm divorced, and, and uh, you know, my husband or my husband died, and I've just been overwhelmed. I'm sad. I'm this. I'm that. The other, and the windows cracked open, and you just share the love of Jesus. So you're not preaching at people. Being a witness is not preaching at people. Where you feel good that well, I'm done my duty. I preached at them. I let them have it. You didn't do a thing. In fact, you might have done damage. Because now you create an image. Christians are pushy people. The Spirit of God, when it comes to leadership, the word gentleness is used. That means you're not pushy. We don't have to force anything. God didn't force anything on you. He'll command you. Because you want to obey him because you've seen his love. But in force, neither should we. That's incorrect Christian thought sometimes. You think you're going to force things. Well, we watch for the windows of men and women's and children's souls to crack open and you pour it in. But if you're too busy or your mind so much rolling on all things about you, how I feel, what I have to do, what I have to accomplish, my schedule, this and that, you'll miss the person along the side of the road. You'll miss it. Okay. Selah. Keep yourself in the love of God, looking for something, continuing to have expectation. That even though there's a people who are so hard and corrupted and perverse, there'll be opportunities for breakthrough. For the impartation of life. You wait, the wise person waits for that opportunity. Waits, waits for that opportunity. Amen. And some have compassion, or in addition to that, that you show compassion. Okay, you're you're having expectation and prayer that the window will open for the mercy of the Lord. And he's saying, in addition to that, you show it then. Or as you're aware, the window of someone's soul open, then you speak it, you show it, you demonstrate it. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear. The word and here in verse 23 is a different word from the one in verse 22. Verse 22, it's and chi, meaning in addition to. Uh, the word and in 23 is day, which means transitioning to something. As you see the window of someone's soul open, because in prayer you're expecting that, in the midst of all the evil. Then you add to that expectation. You're going to speak life. You're going to show, demonstrate, do, be, whatever. The compassion of the Lord. Making a difference. Then you transition to bring salvation or to deliver. And the word with in the English is incorrect. It's the word N in, in Greek, which means in. Big difference. Because in a wrong interpretation is people think, well, sometimes I'll scare the hell out of people. I'll scare them out of hell. Incorrect. That's not scriptural. Holy Spirit's wanting to bring some correction, but you know, it's in love and, and gentle. You don't use fear, which is not of God, to try to bring someone to God. It's in your respect for all that God is and all that he's done, in your respect for that, even though you hate the sin that you're encountering in people, you hate it, 
To fear God is to respect God is to hate sin, to hate evil, to hate pride, the froward mouth, the evil way. Even though we hate all of that, out of our respect for God so loved, He gave His Son to die for all of us who deserve to go to hell. Don't ask for what you deserve. Don't even go there. Because you deserve to burn in hell for eternity. That's what you deserve. Oh yeah, but I'm so good. I do this and do that. But for the mercy and grace of God, we all spend eternity in hell. But He has been so gracious to us and so merciful to us to grant us salvation as we call out upon Him, upon the hearing of the Word of God, we believe Him. In our respect for the Lord, Okay, we, we transition to bring forth the work of deliverance by speaking the word and, and praying in the name of Jesus for that person. We do our part. God is faithful. He'll do his part. He does the actual saving and delivering. But we're a part of that because we're his mouthpiece on the earth. Now, I want to go to another thought in this session, the rest of it. And that is in keeping yourself in love. I want to bring the word commit or commitment into the equation. Love's not an emotion. People will naturally relegate love to as emotion. You know, people, they want to feel they fell in love with someone. No, the love of God will affect your emotion. But it's not an emotion. And to be in the love of God, part of that, there is commitment. Now, in the world, people don't want to have to be committed to anything. So you have people, rather than just, what is the will of God? I believe it's the will of God. I'll commit to that. I'll marry this person. We are committed to each other. The emotions that are the byproduct of love will come later. In India, where I've been going for 25 years, in India, marriages are arranged. That sure make make you pray for your daddy, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, pick a good one, Dad. God, give revelation and, and knowledge to my father. He's going to pick a woman for me. Now, if that parent has the wisdom of God, they'll pick a better one than you would. How would you feel about mom and dad picking your wife, Connor? <laughs> Scary proposition, isn't it? That would make you pray for him even more than you do now, right? But that's how it is there. It's not like that here in our culture. And some other parts of Nigeria used to go there. They would be, you were not marrying someone if it wasn't approved by the parents. And we have like a formality. Oh, sir, I would like to ask. Uh, for you to give your daughter to me in marriage. But they already made the decision. There's being nice. Here, that's generally how it is. But in a lot of places, if daddy says no, that's the end of it. It's not happening. And uh, I remember my dear friend Israel Jebaraj and his wife, we were talking about this one day, and their, both their parents were pastors. And they had picked each other. And one of them, I think it might have been Pamela, said, I didn't even really like him. <laughs> You're just meeting. Because they're making that choice. And in some cases, you haven't met yet. They haven't met him yet. And and they're being introduced, you know, and the day you're going to meet and all of that. But when you recognize the will of God and you commit to the will of God, the other things will follow. 
where many times in the world what people want, they don't want to commit because they don't live by the will of God. They want to experiment and try to feel something and hope it works out someday. The will of God will always work out. And even after you're married, you're going to have to have a commitment there to one another because it's the will of God. I've married many people over the years and doing pre-marriage counseling. Something I'll always say, I'll ask, why do you want to marry each other? I usually always get the same answer. Because we love them. Because I love her. Because I love him. And I'll say, well, why? Because he does this and she does that and they make me feel this way. I said, what's going to happen when they don't do that? They don't make you feel that way anymore. And you know, it's only a matter of time. Might only be three days. It might be, <laughs> might be three years. It might be 30 years. What's going to happen? But you see, when you come into it, I believe this is the will of God, that God has ordained for us to come together, that together we can bring greater glory to God than separately. See, it's not about you and your needs and make me feel this way and do for me, 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 me. But together we'll glorify God. It's the will of God. So I commit to that which is the entering into God's love, which you're going to give of yourself, not looking for anything back. That's agape love. And that's what makes it all work. Then the friendship kind of love will follow and the affection and the sex and all the rest will follow right on behind. It's going to work. Well, this this concept or principle is beyond. I'm just illustrating it in terms of marriage. This isn't a teaching on marriage. You single people, you need to hear what I just said. If you didn't catch it, go back and listen again. You find the will of God. You commit to that. That is love. And the, the feelings that will all follow. So he says, keep yourself in that love. There's a, there's a committing to this. And if we're going to go to this venture to this place farther, because if you can't love the person you're married to, how are you going to love some ungodly, worldly sinner and make a disciple out of them? You're going to get tired of it fast. In fact, maybe I'll do it in another message, but I'll mention it now. You must have the fruit of long-suffering working in you if you're going to disciple anyone, if you're going to make a difference in this life, because people have their carnal ways still, and it's going to irritate you and rub you the wrong way. And if you don't develop in that, you'll never continue as a pastor, because people are going to irritate you to no end. You might end up trying to push and force and make them change, and you just frustrate them and you. But our Heavenly Father, He bears with us long, long suffering. I mean, long suffering. And you bear with them believing for change. You stop believing for change, you can't bear with anyone. Many times when people quit on someone in a marriage, I'll ask this question. Do you believe they can still change? And if the answer is no, I say, well, we're, this is the end of the marriage counseling. It's over. I'm not going to waste any more of my time or yours talking to you if you don't believe God can change that person. What are we doing here then? Am I greater than God? You see, we must maintain faith for change not only in our own life, not only in circumstance, but everyone we're encountering to. Encountering. So as we're endeavoring to disciple anyone, there has to be the continual release, release of faith for the ministry of the Holy Ghost to change that person unless you begin to get irritated by them. The very people you can be sent to minister to can become an irritation to you. You step outside of love. Now there's nothing going on. There's no power of God there anymore. You know, you go in missions 
different cultures have different ways. And it's going to rub you because it's not your ways. If you just stay where everybody's sort of the same, well, you're used to the flesh in that place. You go to a different place, they have different flesh. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) So you better start where you're at, developing long-suffering, because you go into a different place, there's different flesh. And it'll rub you. But as we're looking through the eyes of faith, I'm believing God for change. Then you enter into that place for long-suffering. I'll bear with them because I'm believing it will change. You stop, stop believing anything's going to change. You're done. It's over in terms of the work. Commitment. Let's go to 2 Timothy. I'll share a couple things about commitment. And I want to tell a certain person's testimony or story. Actually, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. Paul says, For the which cause I also suffer these things, nevertheless I am not ashamed. For I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded. He's able to keep what I've committed to him against that day. We have to be fully persuaded when you enter into giving your life to the Lord that he will keep your heart, your life that you've committed to him. Now, a beginning step, really, of any kind of ministry is you have to commit it all to him. As we receive Jesus Christ as Lord, we enter into a commitment of our life to him. People who won't commit it all to Jesus will never see much fruit. I say that in all absolute terms. You will not. Because you'll always have a provision to retreat from the will of God or from His commandment and, and, and pull back from Him in the flesh. To walk with the Lord is not something you try. Well, I tried that, Joe. Hear someone say this? Well, I tried that. It didn't work. I tried what you said, Brother Jay. It didn't work. Well, you know they never really had a revelation nor a conviction to begin with. Because to walk with the Lord is not something we try. It's something that's been revealed to us, convicted in our spirit, and we make a decision to follow Jesus. That old song is a good one to keep in your heart. I have decided to follow Jesus. I mean, just to sing it brings joy to my heart. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. That's something that needs to roll in our spirit. Well, there's a decision. I commit it all to you, Lord. Then you're not afraid of anything. So I'll deliver you from fear. He'll keep me. He'll take care of me in, in what he has for me to do. So there's a committing to him and just in defining. Some of you might have heard me say this before, but I'm going to tell it again. An old wise man full of the Holy Ghost once told me, and our congregation said, don't be afraid to tell the same story over and over. And he did. I mean, he would. <laughs> and there's times the Spirit of God ministered that to me. You can tell the same story over. So there's, yeah, Dale will kind of joke about that too, that your, your sons, they all know that's number 43. And, you know, I've heard you say it like that. But if it's the best way you know how to illustrate something, use it again. I'm not here to entertain you, but to impart something. So commitment, what is it? What is it? My younger son, Jesse, he was about 18 maybe. And he made a decision, I'm going to conquer fears in my life. And one of them was a fear of heights. So he decides, I'm going to go skydiving. <laughs> so so he, he pays, and actually at the Lancaster Airport, you can do this. And you have that fear of heights. You can, if, if, if God would uh, move on you, he paid uh, whatever it was, 100 bucks, whatever. You're going to go up. 
and it'll take you 10,000 feet, strap a parachute on you, and, and you'll be like a, attached to another person just in case you freak out and forget to pull the ripcord. So they tell him, for an extra $50, we can go up 150 feet. I mean, go up another uh, 5,000 feet. 10,000, I think, to 15,000. I think that's what it was. So he pays, and he said, well, let's go higher. I'm conquering the fear of heights. So he pays an extra 50 bucks. While he's on the airplane, he's not yet committed. But once he stepped out that open door, that's a commitment. There's no, no turning back. No turning back. No turning back. You see, that's commitment. Now, to commit requires trust. If you don't have trust, you're not going to commit it all to God. If you don't trust that person you're going to marry, you wouldn't be wise to commit to them, but you won't. If you're in your right mind, anyway. Well, anyway, he had a great time. They had a video of it, and that's all that. And play this video, you know, the whole free fall thing and all that. He said, Dad, that was great. You need to come do that with me. So I said, I don't have a fear of heights. But I don't trust whoever packed that parachute. So I never did get in that airplane and jump out with a parachute. <laughs> you better trust whoever packed. You better understand the process. Somewhere trust has to be placed. In this case, it's whoever packed the parachute. Well, I don't know who packed it. How can I trust the unknown person here? Well, that's commitment. Without commitment, you'll never really make much of a difference in anyone's life. People who will not commit, you know, they do things, they say all kinds of things, they don't really make much of a difference. Now, every pastor ends up experiencing the guy that comes along and says, God spoke to me to be with you, and I'm, I'm with you, and, you know, I'm behind you, pastor. And they end up so far behind you, you can't see them anymore. <laughs> Little pressure comes, something, an offense arises, and they walk away. Dale, did you ever have that happen? <laughs> oh, my, you get to the point you cease to count anymore. But those who understand and, and are immersed in knowing their Father, in submitting to the Lordship of Jesus, in walking in the Holy Spirit, they'll live that life. They find the will of God, they commit. Find the will of God, you commit to it. And then the fruit comes out from that. Well, Paul goes on to say, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Ghost that dwells in us. So this word's used again, and Dale uh, quoted last night from Second uh, Timothy about committing to others. So three times in three different ways this word's used, but something was committed then to Timothy who was faithful. The principle is you commit to faithfulness or where you can put your trust. You don't commit where you can't trust. If someone visits my church, here's what, and, and they begin to say, well, I'm praying about where God wants me to be and I'm looking for a church. I'll tell them. I say, you watch me. I'm not hiding anything. My life's an open book. I don't expect you to commit beyond I earn your trust. And I'll add to it, I'm going to be watching you. Because I'm not committing anything over to you till I've watched you 
and feel I can trust you. But we just start out with that openness. If you don't like someone seeing too closely into your life, well, how are they going to trust you? That's part of a secret in, in, in pastoring. You have to live an open, open book life. And if you have sins or carnality you're trying to hide from people, well, eventually they'll see it and they'll be offended by it and all the rest. We live our life. We're not perfect. Be quick to humble yourself. Say, hey, forgive me. You know, I said this or did that. It's not about being perfect. You earn trust. Trust is earned. It's not deserved. My position doesn't deserve it. My life will earn it. Same with respect. You earn it. Well, Timothy was faithful and something was committed to him. And that is revealed in 1 Timothy chapter 1, where Paul said, I give you this charge. I committed this charge to you, which was to go to Ephesus and to uh, be the senior leader over the church of Ephesus. And he gave other details there. But I, he said, I commit this charge to you. God will... Uh, Commit something to you and his people. He commits that to you, which, which means you're now responsible. And this is important to understand, and especially in, in linking our faith for the release of the power of, of God to transform someone's life that you're speaking into. He assigns people to you, or he assigns your life to people. You know, if you're accepting the pastorate of a church, it's not just, oh, here's a work I'm doing in this place, in this building. I've been assigned to a people. Better learn to love them, be long-suffering with them. There's an assignment. If you're coming alongside a pastor, there's an assignment. And out of your love for God, you'll, you'll stay faithful to that assignment, the assignment's people. There is a tremendous life-changing book by a man named Reese House years ago called Intercessor. That's one of the things that you, you see from his life. Along the way, God would assign someone to him. He knew there was someone who he's to pour himself out toward until they get saved and, and delivered and established in the kingdom of God. And it started out small, one here, one there. There would be like whole towns. That's like nations. He, he grew in his faith for that. But there was the acceptance of the assignment that I am now committed to this assignment to these people. It's nothing about emotion. It's nothing about happy or anything else. It's an assignment of the Lord. As you begin to walk faithful to the Lord, He will commit something to you. And we are highly prone to think about work. That I See, that brings it into the realm of, here's what I do. Rather than seeing we are assigned to a people. Assigned to a people. Timothy was assigned to a people. God wants to make assignments for us. And as, as Brother Dale shared the story last night of the guy who felt he had an assignment to disciple him as a young man. He had an assignment. So whether you like hanging out with a person is completely irrelevant. We don't want to live doing things according to what we like to do or don't like to do. But under the authority of Jesus Christ, his lordship, he gives us assignments and we commit to that assignment. And when that's complete, he'll take you on to something else. The whole part of the faithfulness thing. Now, that being said, I want to tell you a testimony from someone's life. Um, I've been going into Sri Lanka for 10 years. The last time I was there, which was February of 2020, Got in, got out, India and Sri Lanka, right before everything shut down. So anyway, I was ministering with Brother Pradeep, and uh, we did like a leadership thing, and there were some pastors there and different church leaders and so forth. And afterwards, uh, we had lunch, Pradeep's house, and he had 
uh, a pastor invited him over to sit with us. So we're sitting at lunch, and I'm sitting down to enjoy a Sri Lankan lunch. And as my custom is, in such things, I'll find the oldest person in the room, and I'll say, share your testimony with me. Well, this fellow is a pastor. He was older than me, and I knew everyone else there, so I say his name was Peter. I said, you share testimony with him. Now, when you have to have a translator, Alex, it's kind of like uh, too bad for them because you sit down at lunch and he's sitting in front of his plate of food too and somebody's talking and eating translated the whole time through lunch. So that's part of the suffering of a translator is that you watch everyone else eat and you're still doing your job. So if I've ever done that to you, I'm sorry about that, but it's just it is what it is. Well, Peter tells the story, the village pastor, an older fella, and God used him to start maybe about five or so churches, if I remember correctly. And somebody no one ever heard of, village pastor, obeying the Lord amongst those who've never heard the gospel. And there are thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of villages that have never once heard the gospel in any form, religious or not. There's a great work to be done yet. And there are those who are going out to these people. In some cases, there's no electricity, no running water. Going out to these places, and they're not known in social media circles. They're not known nationally and internationally. There are nobody in the eyes of the Christian world. Nobody knows who they are. But Jesus knows who they are. You know, when Peter's about to be martyred, the Lord stood up. He received a standing ovation from the Lord Jesus. Let's read Acts 7. There are great men and women of God no one's ever heard of. When we were in Rene, uh, Ukraine, we took... Bible school students there, there was three of you, I think, and some churches combined. We did healing meetings. And one afternoon, there was a lady. I'm diverting off here. There was a lady who, she wanted to have us for lunch. It was very important. So we're sitting there, this Ukrainian lunch. It's all, you know, and I, I, I love that. I mean, I just, it's awesome. Ukrainian, Ukrainian, it's not Russian, it's Ukrainian lunch. <laughs> oh my. And uh, she tells her story. How that in 97, now this is after the communism was down, there was a uh, a famine in the land and depression. There was no, it was a city about 20,000 people and everything around it was farm tech country. And there was no food in the city and she had no money. And there's no food. She had a daughter and they were using up the last of their food to, they, were, they were eating once every other day. And she was down to her last meal. Her last meal. And there's a knock on the door and there's a lady. She opens the door weeping. She has three little young children. Weeping. Please, ma'am, can you spare me some food? My children are starving. And out of the compassion of Jesus, she gave her last meal with no food in the city, and she doesn't have a grivna, that's her dollar, uh, a grivna to her name. Even if there was food, she had no money to buy any, and there was not any in the market. There's no food. She gives her last meal. 
Now, the end of the story is the next day she opens the front door and there are boxes of food sitting on her doorstep. Angels brought, she went back, she went out into the city. There's still no food in the city. Angels brought boxes of food to her. Because in the compassion of Jesus, she gave her last meal. And I'm sitting there thinking, could I have done that? Would I have had that much compassion? Or would I have been thinking to myself, well, I need to, you know, make this last somehow longer? That woman, I don't even know her name. I mean, I'll just say uh, Olga or Katrina. 50% chance I'm right. She gave her last meal, just like with Elijah, Elisha, you know, given the last meal. Could I have done that? And too often we measure things by outward appearances. Oh, the great preacher led 500,000 people to the Lord. Oh, they're great in heaven. Really? It may be that guy taking beatings in Sri Lanka is viewed as great in heaven. It may be this lady who was never in the ministry who gave her last meal because the love of God was dominating her. And she did it in faith, not knowing how God's going to supply, but the next day there's boxes of food that were brought by angels. She's in my faith hall of fame. I don't even know her name. Yeah, I didn't finish it. I'm going to finish it. But see, Dale's paying attention. <laughs> so now the pastor, now Dale told me I can get a 215, so I'm not, I'm not uh, abusing authority here. <laughs> so here's this man, Peter, going into unreached villages, and you see, Sri Lanka is 90% Buddhist. Buddhists are worse than the Muslims. Oh, I thought they were peaceful little people. Those monks are demon-possessed. And in village areas, they extort money from the people by force. So the young evangelist comes in and say, uh, a third of the village gets saved. You just took money and food out of their pocket. And they hate everything with God because they're demon-possessed, and they don't have any problem beating you or killing you. I've been with Pradeep already. He can get a phone call. So-and-so got beat last night. So-and-so was killed. Area Village pastors that they know. So here this man Peter is. He's telling me a story. And he he tells how they beat him one time. Because the first time an evangelist comes, it'll beat you. And they'll say, leave, leave the area or we'll kill you. You don't leave, then they will kill you. They beat him. Threw him in the street, burned his house down. All of his possessions, all of his stuff. Up in flames. Now, I'll never forget this. He's sitting there and he, he cracks his smile. Corner his mouth. And he says, if there's no persecution, there's not many salvations. Not many get saved if there's no persecution. And he has this little grin on his face. Which I can see, I mean, this was joy for him. Most people here think, oh, I hope that never happens to me. It was joy because he knew. Now, here's the reason why. He wouldn't leave. He was assigned to that village that never heard the gospel yet. That was his assignment from the Lord. He was fully committed to that because he kept himself in love. It'd be easy to get mad. Someone beating, beating you and burning your house down. I mean, you think an opportunity to get mad, that would be an opportunity. He would keep himself in love a guy nobody knows anything about. He's not on Charisma Magazine or whatever. I don't know. They still have that. 
He's not, he's not out, out there. Nobody knows who he is except Jesus and a few saints round about. He'd stay, he'd stay there. They just beat him, burn his house down, and say, next time, buddy, we're going to kill you. And he just keep preaching. And keep showing forth the love of Christ. And he gets saved. Because he's Buddhist, it gets in their head. This guy loves his God more than I love my God. That's the message his life speaks. I love my God enough to stay here even though I am suffering in this way. I love my God so much, nothing will drive me from my assignment. I will die doing it. Just like with our shepherds, we know they would fight to the death to protect. Our dogs would die protect my wife, my granddaughters. He, he kept himself in love. We can tend to think we read something like that and we think in terms of, oh, kumbaya, my Lord. Oh, it all feels good. Oh, I'm, I'm a nice person. I do nice things. No, there's a, a great depth behind that where there is a commitment to the Lord. We love Him. That's the great commandment. Love Him with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And out of that, that will translate into loving your neighbor like you already love yourself. You don't have to learn to love yourself. Ephesians 5.26 says we already do love ourselves. We need to die to that self-love and begin to love God with all of our heart, which we're committing all to Him as a result of that. And then out of our love for Him, we begin to look at other people the same way and love them the way we see He loved us. <laughs> so here's this man, Peter. He, he won't leave. He's on assignment. He's keeping himself in love. And he has faith. This is going to get in their head. They can't shake it. There's something about this Jesus Christ that this, this preacher, he loves him so much, we can't do anything to shake him out from that. Because they know in themselves they wouldn't do that for their God. Making a difference. Involves commitment. Learn to love that word. God's committed to you as covenant. Jesus committed himself into the Father's hands. Paul said, I, I'm persuaded that he can keep what I've committed to him. Commitment begins with you committing it all to God. And as you begin to Become faithful in Him. He, he commits things to you. He commits assignments to people. Again, let us step outside of viewing ministry as work. That's my work. You know what will happen if you think like that? You'll find identity in your work. I am a pastor. I am this and that. Rather than God is. Jesus is, the Holy Ghost is to me, and I am in him. I am his servant. He commands me as to his work, to his will, and I joyfully do that. Hallelujah. Well, making a difference will involve a commitment. It's something you're not, I mean, there's no going back. That's where you better hear from God first. You're talking about choosing disciples. You better hear from God first because you're, you're committed. You better hear from God before you marry that girl, before you marry that guy. Can you trust them? Because you commit. You have, to, you have to fully commit yourself. No provision for the flesh. Because the flesh will always take it. If you, if you give a provision, a way out.
<laughs> oh my, we're going to make a difference. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you for this word. Lord, take this word to challenge each and every one of us. Lord, may we reflect upon all that we know of you. May the revelation that you are faithful God become more real, spawning even greater commitment of our life to you. And we thank you, Lord God. You committed to us assignments. You committed to us your covenant and your Holy Spirit and all of his ministry. We find rest in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah.